Welcome to the Steamboat Springs Winter Sports Club Show presented by Honey Stinger. This is a podcast that will make you want to get outdoors and will give you some great ideas as a sport parent, athlete, or coach. Born in the beautiful mountain town of Steamboat Springs, Colorado, the Winter Sports Club was founded over a century ago and now serves a majority of kids in our community and has produced more Winter Olympians than any other club in North America. There are secrets and great stories to share as we play year-round in these mountains we call home. Our calling is to develop complete athletes on and off the mountain by cultivating a passion for the outdoors and a love of sports at all levels. Stay tuned to hear from Olympians, athletes of all ages, coaches, experts, and people who are doing amazing things to make an impact in our community and in their sport. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former professional triathlete who finally discovered the joys of skiing in my late 40s when I moved to Steamboat Springs with my family. We immediately discovered the Steamboat Springs Winter Sports Club, and it's become a huge part of our lives as my husband, Tim DeBoom, is a ski and bike coach, and my daughter, Wilder, has found happiness, friendship, and joy through skiing, jumping, riding, and more. I am thrilled to bring the positive energy of the Winter Sports Club to people all over the world. Thanks for listening. Now let's get started. Hello, friends. Thanks for coming back for another awesome episode of the Steamboat Springs Winter Sports Club show. Podcast voice. But now I'm going to get real because I am sitting here with one of the world's leading researchers, on youth sport development, Dr. Jean Cote. Jean, thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you so much, Nicole, for having me and for being in such a beautiful place in Steamboat. I'm, yeah, very, yeah. very grateful to be here and, and being able to spend some time here and, and talking to you this afternoon. Thanks, oh, thanks this for is, having me. We're all just so excited. <laughs> I mean, I get you first before you do the big talk to all the parents at the club. So this is really cool. I feel like I'm getting like a little look behind the curtain. <laughs> um, well, okay, let's start off because not everyone listening knows who you are and follows your work yet. So let's give them a little background on you. Specifically, how did you get into this line of work and researching youth development and sports? Yeah, well, I always loved sport. I grew up in uh, Drummondville in Quebec, so you uh, notice the French accent a little bit. Uh, I grew up, yeah, speaking French, and uh, I grew up as, uh, I play hockey, ice hockey uh, in Quebec, and I was a goaltender, and uh, I always had kind of difficulty with the mental aspect of the game. You know, I was I was down on myself and not, not being able to be very tough mentally. And then, uh, you know, I was looking for college and things to do, and I went into sports science at the University of Ottawa. And I had a few classes there in sports psychology, and some of the teachers were amazing, uh, you know. And I said, "Wow, I wish I had known this when I was 14 years old." Or all of these principles about, you know, uh, how to prepare for games and how to be mentally ready and how to so deal with pressures and distractions and all that stuff. So I, I got really interested into sports psychology. So after my undergrad, I did a master at the University of Montreal. And then started a doctorate there, and uh, I was working with my mentor, my supervisor, who was really interested in coaching, 
any other grant. So I did my uh, doctorate uh, with expert coaches, gymnastic coaches. And then from there, it just went, you know, I had a job at Brock University, and now I'm at Queen's University in Kingston. And really, my interest is, has always been, you know, combining, I think sport is a wonderful place for kids to develop strength and their assets. And, and, and it's, it's, and the nice thing about sport is that it really, at some point, it doesn't matter, you know, when you think about the rest of what's going on in the world. So we have you know, we have an activity that has all the elements that can help people to develop as individuals. And to some level, the outcome does not really, you know, it's not that important. Oh, that's so interesting <laughs> because when we are focused on our sports, we're all focused on the outcome goals. But before we get in there, yeah, um, this is so crazy. I, I, so you, you were playing ice hockey, you're a goaltender, which I would think is always going to be the most mentally challenging position, constantly waiting for things to get like thrown at you yeah. or hit or whatever you'd call it. Um, and you said you wish you had known some of this stuff when you were 14. Like, we're going to talk about what some of that stuff is, but how, like, what do you think it would have changed things for you? Like... However, that information could have been directed to you in order for you to maybe get over some of those roadblocks you mentioned, that insecurity? Yeah, I think so. You know, I think about the cultures I had and some of the people that I was around. You know, if I had had a little bit more of a supportive type of environment, or not that the people were not supportive, they, they were doing their best and the cultures were, but maybe if they had had more knowledge about kind of the mental aspect of the game yeah. and, and how people react to errors and things like this. So, yes. but uh, yeah, so that's, uh, yeah, that, that, that's what drove me into, you know, I, I really want to help people or help youth sport and, yes. and, and people, you know, make a, having fun and being challenged in sport, but getting really <laughs> fulfilled with their involvement and their engagement. And you know what? That's what we're going to do today. We're going to put out some uh, information to help people for sure. And one of the things you just mentioned is fun. And, you know, I know that when kids are little, it's all about just going out and having fun and playing. And I think this is what really differentiates you from some of the other researchers that I, uh, you know, am aware of in this field is that you've done a lot of work on the concept of play in sport. Um, maybe we can talk a little bit. There's, there's one concept that when you throw the word deliberate in front of it, it changes everything. And you mm -hmm. talk about this a lot, deliberate play in sport. Mm -hmm. So thinking in terms of like kids age, you know, six, seven, eight years old, all the way up to 20 who are doing sport, even seriously, how does play fit in? Yeah. So this work really came as a result of the, the, the idea of deliberate practice, you know, with Anders Ericsson in 1993, so he's a psychologist at Florida State University, wrote a paper about the concept of deliberate practice. And basically what the paper suggested is that if you invest into deliberate practice, and the deliberate practice was defined as something that is not enjoyable, that requires high level of effort and concentration, then this is how you're going to improve. Into, and then he did his study with musicians. 
So not in sport. And then, uh, but he suggested that in the paper that this applied to all domains. So if you want to become a basket, you know, if you want to play in the NBA, you can start early and do much, do a lot of, of deliberate practice, which is not fun and challenging. And to some level, it makes sense. You know, if you want to improve into something, sometimes you have to get into some activities that are not that rewarding to, to, to learn the techniques and learn the, so, so there's the concept of deliberate practice. And then I met Anders Ericsson in 99. And I was talking to him about sport. And I said, I think sport is a bit different from music, you know, because you don't need a lot of skill to play sport. Like you, you can get in the backyard and kick a soccer ball and you don't need a coach. You don't need, you know, you can have a lot of fun by doing this. And then we started do interviewing athletes, athletes that achieve high level of, 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 of excellence. And then we asked them about their their background and what they did when they were kids. And a lot of these athletes at a very high level, like Olympic, Olympic level athletes uh, or professional athletes were telling us that, when, you know, between 6 and 12 or 15 years old, they played. They had a lot of fun. You know, they were in an, env- in an environment that allowed them to go- get a lot, you know, if it's ice hockey in Canada, they play all the time. They, they get on the ice outside. They, they play on the street in the summer. They but it's kind of a social thing. And so this is where the concept of deliberate play came, came, came about. That this is, not, this is not deliberate practice, you know, but they are learning skills. You know, if, you, if you're going to play outside and then you're a smaller kid, you're going to need to develop some skills. You know, if it's basketball and you play with the neighbor and the neighbor is six foot and you're five foot right. two, you're gonna, you have to get around and you have to learn some new skills or so. So the concept of deliberate play is kind of opposed to deliberate practice. So it's fun. It's enjoyable. It's not for improving performance. You don't necessarily need adults. You don't necessarily need feedback from coaches. or You just do it. You just play. And the word deliberate comes in front because it's an adaptation of the game. So, you know, if it's ice hockey or if it's basketball, uh, it could be done in a backyard. It could be done in a driveway or so, so the kids will adjust the game. They will make it fit. You know, if there's a tree in the middle of the field, then they can play soccer still, but they have to get around the tree. So it's uh-huh. not on a soccer. So that's why it's deliberate because there's a little bit of thinking going on. Uh, it's not just free play, you know, where, where young, very young right. kids just uh, do nothing and they don't really. Yeah. Really right. Yeah. Okay. So in in the case of say a kid who is in a ski program at the mm-hmm. at the club, if they're going to practice, is that a time when coaches may or may not include deliberate play in the practice setting? So so this is where it gets a little bit there's a lot of different types of activities, you know, that we can talk about, like between deliberate practice and deliberate play. So deliberate play the way it was defined first was kids get together, they go on the ski hill, and they fool around and they have fun. You know, they may race be- with each other, or but they're not necessarily thinking about their skill and about their techniques. Or so that would be deliberate play. So if there's a coach there and the coach gave them, the, maybe the, the coach create a game, you know, in practice or in in, in training, but. The game actually is to work on a certain technique and the coach provide feedback. 
then that would be more kind of there's this idea of a teaching game for understanding or play practice. So that would be somewhere between deliberate play and deliberate practice. Yeah. You know, because it's a little bit like it's adult-led versus kid-led. Right. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, it kind of feels like the pendulum sort of like shifts. So when they're really young, it's a lot of free play. Then there's deliberate play and a little deliberate practice. And as they get older, it's half and half. And then, yes, because I was even thinking back, you know, I I was a uh, elite level swimmer. And even in college swimming Mm -hmm. at a division one school, we enjoyed like our free time. Okay. You yeah. know, yes, and yes, yes, yes. just to goof around or yes. when we got to lead practice and we would do weird contests in the middle of a set, you know, mm-hmm. or something like mm-hmm. that. And so it's interesting, too, because even as an adult, I'm 50 and I've just learned to ski a couple of years ago. And I literally feel like the play part of it is the only reason I'm out there. Mm-hmm. Yet, to your point. I have to spend, I know that I'm not going to be able to improve to ski more things unless I'm out there just skiing more time, Yeah, yeah which is yeah. not always totally enjoyable. But yeah. the point, you know, is that play doesn't have to go away. No, 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 certainly not. Certainly not. And I think it's very important to, you know, when you think about that continuum of activities, if you go from free play to deliberate practice with deliberate play, teaching game for understanding. It's very important for people to be involved in a lot of those activities. Like you don't have to do only deliberate practice or only deliberate play. But, you know, if you have 20 hours of skiing per week or 12 hours or 10 hours, you could have a couple of hours of deliberate play. You could have a couple of hours of deliberate practice with a coach with a lot of feedback and, you know, learning techniques and hard stuff. But then you can have teaching games for understanding, you know, play practice or other things that get you out there where you where you move, you do things, you ski, but it's very different, you know, with different and 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 to me, one very important thing about that work is that sure it's important for skill acquisition, but it's also very important for interest and motivation. Because, you know, doing the same thing day after day is boring. And you know, if you have a twelve year old and thirteen year old or ten year old they want very. They they want diversity. They want to explore. They want to try things, and and so that's those different types of activities allows you to do. You know, you switch between things, and so swimming in your case, it's not always the same thing. You know, there's an hour a week where you can fool around and have fun, but you know, maybe you're not not the best hour for learning skills, but it's probably the best one to keep you in the pool. Yes. <laughs> and to come back the next day. <laughs> I mean, that's just it. You know, one of the things you said is this initial research on deliberate practice is like a thing that defines that is that it's not enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. human nature says that if we don't like something, if it's not fun in some way, I mean, at some point we're going to stop doing it. Yes. So, you yeah. know, I, we, you know, we talked a tiny bit before um, we started recording about the idea of the 10,000 hours, mm-hmm. you know, needed mm-hmm. to attain a skill. And that really, that's a bit of a myth because that 10,000 hours would be under the deliberate practice. Exactly. Yep. Yes. Hey, can yeah. you talk a little bit about that? Let's yes. do a little myth busting here. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. So, 
So Anders Ericsson's paper, the 1993 papers with musicians, in his paper, he has some results that shows that the, the elite musician put 10,000 hours of deliberate practice. But he doesn't really say 10,000 hours in the paper. You know, he talks a little bit about it, but the point that he makes is that you have to invest at least 10 years in deliberate practice. But Malcolm Gladwell wrote uh, Outliers, uh, which is about talent and, and the development of talent. And, and that's him that really put the 10,000 hours as a popular thing. And that book, you know, Gladwell is a great writer. His books are fantastic. But that book, I think, is a little bit, you know, it, it, it's, it's not based on all the evidence. And it's basically based on, on, on Erickson's paper of deliberate practice. Uh, so, so the very interesting thing here, if we're talking about popular books that are good to read, is David Epstein. I don't know if you know David Epstein. So he wrote uh, Sport Genes, which is a fantastic book. Uh, but the, the most recent book that he wrote is called Range. Range. And basically what the book is about, it's about sampling. It's about diverse, diversification and doing different things. So it's a little bit of rebuttal to outliers. And if you have, if you have some time and you can Google Epstein and, and, and Gladwell speaking together, uh, they, there's a couple of, uh, couple of podcasts where they, they kind of talk about their two different views. Because in range, he says, do a lot of different things and you can still be an expert. Versus outlier, Gladwell says, but at some point, maybe I'll give you, should I give you the punchline of the? Yeah, give yeah, it. So at cause... some point, Malcolm Gladwell, and I think this is where I had a lot of, I still have a lot of respect for him. He said, I was wrong. Wow. Oh, <laughs> that said, is cool. Yeah, yeah. That was, yeah. You said, you know, uh, what I said in the book is, yeah, you're right. And, and yeah, yeah. So, 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 so it's really interesting to see, I guess this is going a little bit outside, like the kind of the popular science, but these people like Epstein and Gladwell, they're good. They do their research and they're good writers and they, you know, they really summarize, they try to summarize the field. And so those are good, good ways to get into that, this area without reading the, yes. the, the nitty gritty. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. Research. <laughs> I love that. Okay. So we'll have a link in the show notes so you can, you know, check out these different books and, and form your own opinion, I guess. But, um, I really love the idea of diversification personally. Yeah. Yeah. And now, a quick break to hear from our show sponsor, Honey Stinger. Honey Stinger produces fuel for all levels of athletes using delicious honey and organic ingredients. Not only is honey rich in antioxidants, but it's also easily digested and absorbed quickly into the system to help you prepare, perform, and recover. Personally, if energy products don't taste great, I won't eat them, and I bet you agree with me. That's why I love everything Honey Stinger offers because their products are delicious. You don't even realize you're getting fueled because it just tastes like you're eating dessert. And I have never met someone who doesn't love dessert any time of day. Discover what the buzz is all about on HoneyStinger.com. Get this. Use this code SSWSC podcast for 20% off organic waffles, chews, gels, bars, and hydration to help you sweeten the burn. I'm going to repeat that for you because it's such a great deal. Get going over to honeystinger.com and use the code 
SSWSC podcast for 20% off. And now back to the show. One of the other things that really stands out to me is with these kids, because mostly it's our it's the parents who are listening to this and all they want is to help their kids find happiness in their lives. And right now through the club, they're doing it through sport and these fun, fun sports. But it's really interesting because I know you've studied this and I want to hear your thoughts. If you ask kids pretty much of any age what their favorite thing about sports is, mm-hmm. I'm kind of guessing that about 90% of them will say my friends. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you think that's true? Am I on base here? Definitely. So I think the research would say the first two, yeah, the first two top two things are always fun and friends. So friendship, like the social aspect and the enjoyment. Uh, so that's what kids get involved in sport. And, and I all, you know, I often say this, um, uh, what, what, you, you look at the literature and in, in developmental psychology, not in sport. And they did some studies that looked at uh, what the activities that kids are involved in and, and how it contributes to their development as people, self-esteem and, you know, interactions with other and relationship and initiatives and leadership and all that, these things that we want young people to learn. And the best places to learn those things were organized activities like music, arts, and sport. And the two reasons that those activities are good, it's because they're challenging and they're fun. They're enjoyable. So rarely we have those two things together. When kids go to school, they're challenged, but it's not fun. When they watch TV or they hang out with others, they're, they, they, um, they have fun, but they're not challenged. So, so if you're able to combine those two things and, and, that's what sport does, you know, in, in itself, that's what sport is about. It's challenging and it's fun. But I guess it brings me back to the point you made is that very often you get into sport. What do the adults do? They take the fun out of it. <laughs> Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Well, you know, and I'm not, you know, I'm making a big statement here, but, but it, it, is it, it the adults or the like parents or coaches? Uh, Maybe it's, it could be the coaches, you know, because of the structure and what they're asking them to do. You know, if you think about deliberate practice again, if you think about skill acquisition, if, if the reason, you know, it is, if they need to learn this skill and they need to learn it today and that's what they need to do. And then suddenly the practice becomes so structured, so intense and so, and then there's competition. Now, you know, you're eight year old and you need to compete and win, be the best eight year old in town. And, and suddenly it becomes like, What's going on? You know, this is, they're not adults. And like we're kind of reproducing the adult model of sport and we apply it to kids and we should not do. They're kids. Yes. And, and we, you know, it's not a, an adult, it's not a, a kid's version of, we need a kid's version of sport and that's different. Well, and <laughs> what we even just talked about was that adults still like to have fun too. So yes, why do we yes, take the yes. fun out for ourselves? Yeah, yeah. No, um, and, and I don't want to, 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 say that all sport do that and that all coaches do that. But I think we really need to keep fun in sport. <laughs> I guess that's the main, main point I want, to, I want to make here. That coach, you need, coaches need to think about this, you know, when, when you yeah. design a practice and, and a season. Yeah. Well, and there's, there's another little rabbit hole that my head just went down was you talked about all of these like positive 
you know, human growth type yeah. traits that yes, we yeah. develop and that sports and organized activities are are the best way to do that. Um, I read somewhere, I wish I had that info, um, that also being involved in a sports program is one of the key ways to keep kids um, like on the clean path, you know, like out of the path of drugs and alcohol and, you know, staying with positive friend groups and, I don't know, setting goals and actually even being more productive in their schoolwork because they're involved in sports. So is there evidence that supports that? Definitely. Sport, you know, but but we have to be careful here. We cannot say sport and then just, it's good sport. It's it's sport, you know, where there's challenges, there's fun, there's you know, it's sport where there's respect for it, there's integrity, there's, there's, you know, there's character building. And so it's not all. Sp- yes, sport has the potential to do that. But what is sport? Sport is coaches and parents and kids and other kids. And then there's a structure to it. And so that structure has to be healthy. But yes, there is lots of research showing that it does have an impact on a lot of positive things. And it get the kids, it protect the kids from all these issues or problems that yeah. they may, you know, they may get at some, that's at so, some point in their life. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, that's really good to know and important for all of us to hear right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, can we talk a little bit about this? So, we're talking about the social interactions with, I, I always think of peers, right? Yeah, and yeah. we talk a lot about kids running off and playing on their own. What about the social interaction with their coaches? Um, you know, I have listened to some of the other podcasts you've done, and and there was one show where you talked about how sometimes, you know, we think the coach needs to be this, like, expert in every way, mm-hmm. but that sometimes it doesn't even really matter if the coach knows very much about the sport mm-hmm. as long as they are connecting positively with the kids. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure, yeah. So, so I think we need to look at a uh, different age group and different, you know, like if you're coaching the national team, you, you need to know, you need to know a right. lot about sport. For sure. <laughs> you know, you know. <laughs> so, but I think, uh, you know, it, at, at younger age, uh, really what's important is connecting with, with people. And I'm saying this, but it's important at all age group, but maybe coaches at a higher level, they need to probably have more knowledge of the sport. But we define sport uh, coaching expertise as as three three different knowledge that coaches need to have: the professional knowledge, the interpersonal, and the intrapersonal. So professional is everything. So if you're a ski coach, you need to know about skiing, and it's the foundation of coaching, you know. And and it's but you do get that you you do get it to cl- clinics and coaching courses and. Even on, on, on the internet, you, you know, you can probably go look and look at drills for, 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 for training or things like this. It's out there, the professional knowledge. The interpersonal is the relationship that you create with your athletes and with other people. And that is one of the most important aspects too. And then the intrapersonal is the ability to reflect. So if you want to be good at something, you have to be able to reflect on mistakes that you make and try to do better the next time or so all this to tell you that the question you ask is we did studies that look at over a season at at 
athletes and we give them questionnaire at the beginning of a season, at the, at the end of the season, and we measure their confidence, their relationships with others, their competence in sport, whether it's skiing or uh, basketball or baseball or hockey. Uh, and then we looked at character. And we looked at the athletes where there's an increase. So if you play a sport, you should have an increase of competence, better relationship, be more confident at the end of the season. So the coaches that add that, what was the difference between the coaches that where there was an increase in the kids? It was not professional behaviors. It was interpersonal. So it was the way they were able to connect with their kids and interact. And they, so, so this has kind of opened up a very, you know, we did a lot of research on this. And so we call this like transformational coaching, which is basically the transformation happened at the level of the kids, but there's changes. There's, you know, and we call it person centered coaching. So, so basically you, you focus on the person. Not, it's not even athlete-centered. It goes beyond athlete-centered. You know? It's yeah. person-centered. You need to get to know your athletes at a level of human being, of who they are and their family and their other things that they have in their life. And, 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 and I think if you can do this as a coach, then you're establishing a relationship that really uh, trigger you know high level of performance so we know that but all these other positive aspects too in terms of leadership and they become leaders athletes become leaders themselves they do whether we like it or not yes yes. we're developing leaders here and (laughs) i'm excited about that you know i think too we often look back in our life and think about who we remember of our coaches teachers guides Mm -hmm. mentors and Mm -hmm. it is often our coaches and uh, You know, I feel like the best coaches figure out how each individual child is best motivated Mm -hmm. and then is somehow able to coach a whole group or team of kids, but keeping these individual motivations, you know, uh, alive. So I don't know. Can you have you looked at any of like definitely? So, uh, you know, like like yesterday at the club, we did uh, the transformational coaching workshop. Like it's a four hour workshop where we try to get coaches to think a little bit more about their interpersonal behaviors. And, and uh, you know, I, I talk about this and I say, you know, coaches, you, you can you can get a group of coaches together and they're going to talk about professional knowledge forever. You know, like they can they can. But what we're missing at the interpersonal level is words and vocabulary that allows us to talk about that stuff. You know, what, what, what is it that, what, what creates a good relationship with an athlete then? So what we have is 11 behaviors that we found with coaches uh, that, that create those positive impact. And I'll just give you one and share one here, but uh, one is showing vulnerability and humility as a coach. So, so... So that's one behaviors, and that's like that's under the big theme of idealized influence. So as a coach, you are a role model, and you need to practice what you preach. And and what happened when you make a mistake? Very often, you blame the athletes, or, or some coaches would, you know. So what happened if you say, oh, you know what, I screwed up. I, you know, this drill doesn't work. You guys are that, that's fine. That's me. And so you're creating an environment of trust. You're creating an environment of respect. And, and suddenly your athletes can come to you when they make mistakes. And so what the workshop was about and what this workshop is about on transformational coaching 
is we just go over those behaviors and we get coaches to really think hard about, can you put that into your coaching? And we call that the how of coaching. It's not the what of coaching. The what is, e well, I don't want to say it's easy, but the what is, you know, it's the content. It's the drill you're going to do and the technique you're going to do, but you need to do it in a way and that's the how. You know, you give it, you're going to give instruction, you're going to do, but there's, I can say, I can give you instruction in, in swimming or in, 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 but I can use kind of the same word, but use a different tone of voice and it would mean different things. So as a coach, it's the same thing, you know, like what words are you using? Uh, when are you talking to your athletes? Are you targeting the whole group, one individual at a time or, but, but you know, coaches need to think about that stuff. Like that's what create those relationships. Yes. I mean, it sounds a, almost like parenting 101. Like even <laughs> as parents, we could, you know, add some vulnerability, and humility <laughs> yeah, and yeah, sometimes yeah, and yeah. admit when we're wrong. You know, like we started off by talking about at the end of the day, we're all listening because we want our children to thrive in this world and find their own happiness. And it's really hard to sometimes separate the fact that, yeah, we have them in these sporting programs, which, you know, do oftentimes involve competition and outcome goals and stuff like that with the fact that they are at the end of the day, kids mm -hmm, wanting to mm -hmm. have fun. I'm going to give you a funny example. Um, my daughter is now 11. She is in the Devo free ski program. They ski a lot. They have a okay. blast. They learn everything. They're trying to just learn how to ski everything on the mountain. And on Saturday, she skied for six hours. Wow. Okay. And I saw her partway through. I was on a chairlift with my husband, Tim, and uh -huh. we looked down and we're like, Wilder! And she <laughs> stops in the middle of a mogul run and in her hand is a stick. And she goes, look at my stick. <laughs> and it was like as big as her. And her whole group was skiing in tutus and fun yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. And no one seemed to think it was a big deal. And we were like, uh, okay. And the lift went away. We were like, should she have a stick in her hand? Is that <laughs> like helping her skiing? Like maybe a stick is not a good idea. And we kind of like focused in on the fact that like we personally felt that maybe she shouldn't be carrying a stick. Yeah. We went to pick her up three hours later. She still had the stick. She had <laughs> named it. <laughs> and they had a blast with it and she skied the whole day with it. And uh -huh. it didn't cause any problems. She yeah, didn't yeah, get injured. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. unsafe. That was part of yes, the other yeah, question. Yeah. But like we yeah. had to step back and separate the fact that we felt like a stick was a distraction. But yeah, for yeah, her, it yeah. may have enhanced her day. Yeah. So I don't know why I bring that, all this up. That, well, that's I think that's a great example of deliberate play. You know, <laughs> if we go back to the beginning. That's like, true. You know, like she she... <laughs> You know, she she spent the day skiing and having fun with friends and and coming up with things and having games and whatever she was doing on the. But 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 you know, I I, I think that's a great example of of uh, using those skills that you learn in a structured environment and play with it and have fun with it. So, well, and as a yeah, parent, yeah. like separating as a parent. Being able to step back and allow that, allow yes, her to be yes, who she is. Yes, yes, yes. Knowing, you know, yes. that maybe there are times for her to be more serious, but it, it's yeah. a hard line for us. And yes. I'm sure other parents listening are also like, I can't believe you let her just keep skiing with a stick for three yeah, more hours. Yeah. Well, there's, you know, there's work that we're starting now on uh, how do you establish developmental relationship? You know, relationship that are 
and, and, and I think we really need to think about how things change over time. You know, parenting does that too. You don't act the same way with a six-year-old than you do with an 11-year-old or 12-year-old. So things change. Uh, and, and I, you know, I, I use this example of, of, of um, you know, you give more autonomy to your kids. And in, in a developmental relationship, that's, that's the goal. The goal of, you know, whether it's coaching or a parent, you help them at the beginning, you, you structure and you help them to develop a skill, then you let them go and you let them do it. And that's what parenting is about. But, but we don't want to let them go. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, a, I, I use the example of tying your shoes, you know, like we, we teach the kids to tie their shoes and we, we help them and then, and, and, but what is the goal? The goal is that they tie their shoes themselves. You know, it's not, you're not going to tie their shoes all their life. So, yeah. so I think, I think when we look <laughs> at more complex skills, it's kind of the same thing, you know, giving that distance, giving that autonomy and, and, and get, but giving them the tool and the support to, to, to be able to do what they want to do well, well you know, and, and being there behind and, and supporting them. Yes. And, you know, I think, too, another word that's coming to mind is trusting the coach and trusting the process and knowing that in this little example I gave, like, if it was unsafe, the coach wouldn't let my daughter Mm -hmm. do that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that's another thing. Like, I think this could be an interesting, like, side conversation, but a lot of parents will watch what's happening with their kids in a practice or sport and Mm -hmm. go, I don't think they're improving. And then not talk to the coach and just hold it all in and not and and dance around it with the kid. Communication seems to be the key to a lot of things in life. Yeah. I mean, does any research or anything you've come across prove that a relationship with the parents and the coach ends up becoming important, or is it really about the kid and the coach? So everybody is involved, you know, like the parents, the kids, and the coach. Uh, I think the research is a bit hard on parents. Like, I think it's a bit tough. Like, sometimes to, you know, it's always the parents. We always blame the parents. The parents are always, uh, you know, you look at sport like hockey and things like this, you know, they're yelling and they're... But but I think we need to be a bit careful about how we treat parents and how we... Parents are paying sometimes big money to get their kids in sport. But coaches should have an open line of communication with parents and tell them that, you know, today we're playing and we're having fun, but that's part of, and that's an important part. You know, we need to educate parents and their partner in this, in this thing. They're not just spectator and, and just watching. And so, so they're putting a lot of resources and emotion and, and, and concrete and finance. And, and so, so I think we need to make sure that parents are involved at all levels and that coaches have good line of communication with parents and you know if if parents want to raise issues with a coach they should be able to and 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 and, and even within within the bigger organization within the club or yeah i love that well and as we're kind of wrapping it up maybe we can speak directly to the parents for a moment and just if anything you know is top of mind what can we as parents do to best help nurture our kids athletic futures so i i talked about i think that that changes over time so so i think we need to acknowledge that you know the example i gave you about tying your tying your shoes so so we need to make sure you know that things change 
so you don't act always the same way. But we don't want over control, controlling too much. So give some autonomy and give some and enough, but enough, and but be there when there's issues and when there's problem and where there's you know make sure that there's you're supporting. Uh, the other big thing I think that is important is uh, role modeling. Uh, you know, and I and I think that's a big one in coaching. Uh, but you know, do you model the behavior that you want your kids to have? So, so making sure that uh, you know you want to be, you want your kids to be on time, or you be on time too, and you want your kids to eat well, where you eat well too. <laughs> or so, so I think uh, you know, kids pick up that very fast. Like they, you know, if you tell them something but you do something else, then it's like okay, well, it's a bit of a mixed message. Or, but yeah, to me, it's uh, you know the support, and that support changes over time. But the the role modeling is a big one too, and and you know, sometimes making sure that the timing is okay to open up discussion about things. Or you know, there's research done on the car ride home. Uh, like, what do you? How do you talk to your kid? Or you know, it's kind of scary for a small kid. You know, like like you, you get in your car with your with your dad or your mom, and then you 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 have nowhere to go, and then you know after a game or after a competition where it didn't go well, or but making sure that you're not, you know, if they don't want to talk, then don't talk, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We tend to bear down on them and over and like force the issue and make them, make them share more than they may be willing to. Yes, yeah. So I think, I think being there when they need you uh, and sometimes it may be a time when not ready to talk about it, but you should make the time, you know, as a parent. <laughs> oh, I love that. Make the time, friends, make it. <laughs> All right. We have rocked this interview. This was such a blast. Um, I'm going to ask you the final question we ask every guest who comes yeah. on the show. And that is, what is the greatest lesson you have learned through sport? Uh, I think friendship and, 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 and interactions with people. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, even today I play sport. I, you know, I play tennis. I play squash. I, uh, you know, we do skiing a little bit and, but it's, it's always such a nice way to be with friends and to, so it, and it was like this when I was a kid, you know, it was an opportunity to, so, so it's a healthy place to be. And it's, it, it's a great, I love the challenge of sport. I love the competition of sport. You know, I play squash, uh, and I like to win. Uh, with my friends, you know, but, but it's, 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 that's what sport is about, you know, that's what, and, and if I lose, that's fine. And after I win or I lose, we forgot about it. We forget about it. Uh, but, but that's to me, the challenge of sport. And, and like I said, I don't know if it was at the beginning or off, off the record, but to some level, it doesn't matter, you know, if you win or lose and squash, <laughs> Yeah. but it's kind of what, to me, it's the fun of it. Like, you know, my mind goes somewhere else for an hour when I play squash. I, it's, or when you ski or when you do something, it, this is just fun. You know, you try to go further, you try to ski better, you try to... So those are, those challenges are kind of, they're fun for me. And, 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 and we need to keep that in sport. Yes, we yeah, do. Yeah. I love it. Let's <laughs> keep the fun in sport. Well, thank you so much, Sean. This was a blast. Great. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Steamboat Springs Winter Sports Club show presented by Honey Stinger. 
Check out the club's winter and summer programs at sswsc.org. If you have a special topic or guest you want featured, we'd love to hear from you. Now get out there and support, lead, or be a champion on or off the mountain.